The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1123. Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here continuing our positional reviews today, and we've got a great coach guest for you. It's Coach DC of all 22 films. That's where you know him from. We're going to talk about the Ravens outside linebacker. Coach, how you doing? Doing great, man. How about yourself? You know, I can't complain other than, you know, the Ravens maybe should have gotten a bike in Kansas City, and I could have gone to watch him play there. But that uh, uh, didn't happen. We had a kind of a difficult night. And then you know, came to the realization, I think we just talked about this a little bit in our production meeting, that the Ravens actually uh, really outplayed the Bengals in some ways on the last two weeks of the season, season in particular the, the Ravens' defense versus the Bengals' offense. And and how they look uh, to be pretty well set up for the future, perhaps, for for containing Joe Burrow. Totally. I mean, it's, it's a very weird dynamic that Ravens fans have to watch the Bengals make what looks like it could be another deep playoff run. It already is at this point in the AFC title game. Number one, number two, we have to, in on some level, recognize that our defensive players, defensive staff, uh, stood there with them toe to toe, and for large parts of the game, really slowed them down. Down, and and in some parts of the game, shut them down. Mm-hmm. I think of the possession where the Ravens stopped the Bengals in the wild card game, and then Geno Stone comes very close to block, blocking a punt runs into the punter. Yeah. And then what did we do immediately? Stopped we, him again, three and three out. Three and out of him again. Yeah. That is an extremely rare, rare thing to do against an offense of that caliber. So I'm excited about the defense and about, you know, talking with you, obviously. So thank you. 
for the for this opportunity uh, and really excited about the future of the Ravens defense. There's obviously a lot of question marks on the offense, but we're shouldn't about, be on the defense. We're talking about a good position tonight, outside linebacker. First thing I got to do is thank, thank, thank our sponsor, Liquid Death, the water that will brutally murder your thirst. Please give their product a try. They've been good to us. Uh, like you, you know, I think we, we probably come from the same angle on this. The Ravens began the season with a very severe lack of health at the position. They only had a you know, very limited number of people could actually stand up and play. Um, but then through the returns, the acquisition of JPP, uh, it became really one of the strongest positional groups for the team. A safety position, very strong, helped out other position groups. And that ended up being the way for the, for the outside linebacker group. But it sure didn't start the season. Yeah, no doubt. I think there's a lot of evaluation still of the, well, during the season, definitely evaluation of the outside linebacker group that retained uh, that thought process or that fear from the beginning of the season when we had uh, multiple guys go down in the preseason. I forget the guy's name who came to us from Miami, Vince Beagle, I think. Yes, Vince Beagle. And then the, the young guy, the second year Dalen player, Hayes. Dalen Hayes, you know, and we, so we lost guys and then we didn't have Bowser. Obviously we hadn't signed JPP. Uh, so yeah, there were some question marks, but I thought that as the season went on, when those guys returned, not not only was it a source of strength, but it was a position where guys were asked to do a lot. You know, they were somewhat versatile in their coverage. Malik Harrison just should be mentioned there as well. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. And he, you know, he played outside linebacker really the whole year, kind of on an on unknown basis. But he played twenty one percent of the snaps, and and he was in there. Uh, most of the time at outside linebacker, he did stand up occasionally and take a few few turns mm-hmm. at weak side. But most of that was at outside linebacker and early downs, and particularly early in the season when they didn't have enough guys, and you know they had to use had to make do somehow. I, you know, I'm not sure how you do things once the games are over, but I'm generally like lo- during the game looking for players to evaluate, talk about, do videos on mm-hmm. clearly, and. There was two or three times during the season where I thought I might do a video on Malik Harrison because I thought he I thought he played better than a lot of people would perceive him to. Um, so I think that moving forward, who knows what happens with Justin Houston? Who knows what happens with JPP? Uh, Harrison's an interesting guy because I think we've got, what, one year left on him? Yeah. So he'll, he'll I assume he will make the team and he's got multiple avenues to playing time this year. We, can we like hold off a little bit maybe on talking about it? I got a couple points to make on about him when we get down there. But yeah, uh, but I did want to say that that uh one of the things the Ravens didn't even have two outside linebackers per play at the beginning of the year. So yeah. the Ravens in the Martindale era have played a lot of three outside linebacker and they played a fair amount of four outside linebacker, what I call race car, other people call it NASCAR and things like that. But the three outside linebacker rush packages, rush nickel and rush dime, they played a fair amount as well. And the outside linebacker uh, usage per snap went from under two early in the year to well over two later in the year. Right. You mean like per play? Yeah, per play. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a, it was not only just the opportunities, the number of guys on the field, but I thought the quality of their play improved over the year as well. That was something that, you know, I know that OA is a source of, you know, discussion. Let's put mm-hmm. it that way. But there was, I thought, an improvement in almost everyone's play. The outlier, obviously, is Justin Houston. He had that three or four game stretch, which was otherworldly. But no, I agree with you, man. I think outside linebacker finished the year as a as a positional strength, and I think it will begin next year as a positional strength, particularly with the three guys we have coming back. I guess four with Harrison, possibly. Mm-hmm. And I would expect them to seriously consider Houston. You know, based on. What you saw for when he was your situational pass rusher, you were talking about a real true weapon. Yeah. So it, it, it I, I, you know, I certainly hope we'll see either, excuse me, JPP or Houston come back. Uh, really surprising how the snaps were divided there as the season went on. I kind of want to go through that a little bit as we go, but let's, let's start at the top in terms of who had the most snaps for the, for the team this year, which is, it is a little bit surprising to people who watched the season late and saw, you know, Adafi always play very significantly curtailed, but he still led the outside linebackers with 58% of snaps played for the year. I think, you know, it was an interesting year for him because he's forced into the Sam role to start the season. I think that actually stunted what he did quite a bit. What's your feeling on that? No, I'm totally in line with everything you said. Number First of all, it doesn't surprise me that the, the snap count for the year for him is – 
was either the highest because you know he was the healthiest guy from week one to you know to the end of the season. JPP have obviously not playing I think until what week four, mm-hmm. um, and then Houston missing time from week three to I think week seven, and I think there was one game late in the season, maybe week eighteen, where Houston only played like six snaps. It was the it was the Bengals game in the regular season finale. But uh, to your point about <clears throat> about Owe, I thought there was moments earlier in the season where I suspected that he looked like he had uh, some type of shoulder harness on. I saw a limited range of motion in his upper body. And I thought that uh, some people would just say, oh, he's just tight. He's not loose. It was a little different from my eyes. And I thought later on in the year, there were some things that looked better. I know that the the big block against the Falcons on the third and seven, when he got jumped by the right tackle, everybody talks about that or mm-hmm. wants to talk about it. I saw improvement in OA, to be honest with you. And I see no reason for the Ravens to seriously consider um, edge defender early in this draft. I just don't, not with the guys we have coming back. I, I, I'm with you all the way on that. I think that, that one of the things I'm interested to hear your comments on the shoulder because this is something where his run defense, particularly early in the year when he was playing every down, um, wasn't where I had hoped it would be. And I agree. When he came back, he really uh, demonstrated a lot of value as a situational pass rusher that improved as the year went on. In fact, he had his best game, I would say, in the playoff game. He had what what really were three sack worthy plays. One, he actually got the sack and he clubbed the guy down. Just a wonderful, you know, yeah, <laughs> big time pass rusher move. Then the next time he closed in as Houston got there too. Houston got the sack, which I guess is only fair in a sense because Houston lost a, a million dollars or whatever in bonus to to yeah. The thing. And then the, one of the really key plays in the game, the Ravens got the ball back with that one final chance that ended up with fourth and twenty or whatever because because away ran down Burrow five yards yes. downfield on a third and nine. And that's a play. That's a sack plus five. I mean, yes. that ended a drive. So it's a, yeah. I, I thought, you know, I'm not a guy who really likes to listen to NFL announcers, but I thought Collinsworth did a great job of mentioning those two plays for Owe. Mm-hmm. The, the, that play, excuse me, and the other one, the, the pass drop where he got in the window of the slant to chase and the ball was thrown a little high. Yep. Uh, to your point from earlier, too, about Owe, playing Sam, um, stunting his growth. I Maybe I wouldn't have described it that way, but I think it's absolutely accurate because he was asked to do things that Tyus Bowser does extremely well. And Owe can do them. He can certainly drop back the pass, but his instincts are not to look for receivers. His instincts are not to swivel his head and look to the outside for a crosser or, Oh, the number, the number two receiver went out. Let me look for number one coming in. That's something that an inside linebacker or, you know, a, a nickel DB does instinctively because they've done it thousands of times. Always just not meant to do that. Having said that we did get two really good pass drops out of him in the playoff game. Uh, along with, like you said, the, the tracking burrow down his spin move in the regular season finale against the left guard, you know, the, the split sack play with him in right. Houston. That was sick. <laughs> that was sick. No, I'm excited I, for OA. And I, I push back on people who talk about 24 year old guys as finished products. You know, I, I'm, I just, I, I'm, I don't react to it just because everybody's entitled to their lousy opinion. But, but OA honestly had a very good year as a pass rusher. You can, and more importantly, he's, his vector is headed in the right direction. He's got a green arrow going up, you know, in terms of of, of how he's been been improving his play uh, during the year. If if, you, if you're thinking stock market teams, but uh, he plays so much better after Bowser returned. Mm-hmm. Uh, good good pressure rate. I, I actually have him scored with more pressures than PFF. Now PFF is fairly generous with pressures, but I'm also I have more of them that the offensive line is responsible for and that the pass rusher gets because when the cone is invaded, that's very distracting to a quarterback, and he's he's been better at pushing it's mostly by bull rush pushing his opponent into the that cone and and uh having some distracting pressure and the ravens lived off the cleanup sack this year you know they had a yeah. high sack total as a team but it wasn't a lot of one-on-one pass rush wins there's some of those but but mostly it was it was first guy gets pressure second guy gets a sack yeah it's like a it's like a guy who the ravens weren't a one-punch knockout guy to use mm-hmm. a boxing analogy the ravens were a cumulative knockout guy you know, a guy that gets the fifth or sixth rounder based on the cumulative effect of the punches. And I got no problem with that. You know, me personally, Yeah, uh, me, we had me. some guys win one-on-one matchups occasionally, but 
thought those guys did a great job. It, it should be something that they keep. I hope it's it's strategically what they are kind of going for because one of the things it's a byproduct of is not using as aggressive a pass rush. So if you, you a lot of teams they really they have to get quick pressures and they have to generate free runners to do so they have to take risk, which I'm fine with defenses gambling. But if you can get home with a four man pass rush and you can you still use a variety of four man pass rushes because you know there's there's four where you blitz two inside linebackers and drop two outside linebackers and there's four where you just rush the four right. uh, and and they could be each effective uh, in their own way. But what you're doing is a, is an op- giving an opportunity for seven men to cover. Uh, which will get you just a little more protection and an opportunity for that one safety you identify who might be deep in cover two to come in and cancel a route yep. that might be the read. So you just get you create all kinds of opportunity for the pass rush. And then and then it's it's all related. And then someone who who didn't win on their mm-hmm. initial move or their initial you know hand swipe or whatever, they win on the second or even the third effort. And I think that's something that I've tried to talk about on the channel, and I've probably never done a great job of describing it, but I'll try again here. When you're, when you have the athletic guys and you let them do what they practice, let the edge guys do what they practice, let them do what they've done for 12 years consistently. I offer, or I think that their second or third engagement with an offensive tackle or a guard, they're going to be more likely to win in my opinion, because they've, they've been doing these things for a long time. Third snap of the game or third. No, 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 no. Second or third effort on a single play. Okay. As opposed to let's let's do the opposite. Let's say we drop out Owe and we rush Patrick Queen. Now, there actually are two examples that go against this, but a second and or third effort by a guy who's not practiced pass rush skills for a dozen years is not going to have the cumulative effect of a win when the secondary does their job initially and, like you said, takes away a route. And now the quarterback is a half second or three quarters of a second uh, behind and getting the ball out. You get a win, a sack, where you didn't really get a win on the first engagement. Again, I'm not, I need to type this out at some point, this thought process, but letting the guys do what they're supposed to be doing positionally and what they practice all the time, they're better able to react on that second or third engagement, hand move that doesn't work, counter that doesn't work, you know, and then, oh, now the the quarterback's now on his third read and my third effort or my third engagement with the offensive lineman wins. And I think that letting organic pass rushers, let the pass rushers do what they are supposed to do organically gets us those late developing sacks, kind of like you were alluding to. Yeah, that, that's the motor, high motor sacks, we would, you know, refer to those. But I, you know, I, that's a great explanation of it. I, one of the things that that is big about OA season, I want to move on after after get a chance to respond to this, is that not going against the naked left tackle really hurt him. And it's usually the left tackle, but it's a, but you know being the rush linebacker, you line up against a tackle who doesn't have a tight end on that side, mm-hmm. and what that allows you to do is focus more on how you're going to set up that player. And you could talk about it in first engagement, second engagement terms, but in terms of a, the first move that OA makes, a, a left tackle that, or the tackle he's opposite has to overreact to that because of OA's ridiculous athleticism. Yeah, so he he has a his second move should be all the more devastating. So he, he just needs to develop that Eurostep and whatnot and then be able to use it and regularly build on his toolkit, working against that naked tackle as opposed to working against, oh, I'm, I'm taking a block or I'm taking a chip or I'm taking something from this tight end or maybe it's two tight ends on me or maybe it's a tight end and a tackle. Uh, oh, but in any case, I've, I've got the possibility of multiple players on that side. And then my pass rush, you know, mechanics have to change because of that. And then I have to take off six plays a game because I have to drop the coverage. You know, so, so it's just, it's, it's nice to be nice to see him get that advantage. I I, I'm very bullish on him for 23. Agreed. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those guys that thinks him Ojabo and Bowser get the job done. If we don't bring back Houston or JPP Mm -hmm. along with, you know, somewhere in there because of roster, you know, limitations, you gotta have a, you gotta have a guy who plays some special teams. It's very Mm -hmm. difficult to ask, you know, particularly if Houston comes back and he's used as a situational pass rusher. I think it presents some roster problems for us um, in terms of special teams. You know, you need your, what was it, Chuck Wiley? You need your guys like that that are going to be outside linebacker possibilities to use in a game if there's a sudden rash of injuries. But they're going to offer you something on special teams too. I like Owe. I'm glad we got him. You know, young guy, big, strong. You know, At some point, you know, he's going to have uh, uh, three sacks in a two-game stretch or five sacks in a three-game stretch. And then he'll go cold for two or three weeks. Look at what Justin Houston did this year. 
Sure. You had that ridiculous stretch and then didn't get a sack for five weeks, something like that. You know, that's just the nature of the game as a pass rusher, man. It's just like home run hitters. Let's move on and talk a little bit about JPP because he was the real surprise in terms of snap percentage. And he played 48% of the snaps. That was second, and it was not even close. To, nobody else was even close. I mean, the next highest is Houston at 36.6% of the snaps. But um, JPP came on week four. Uh, the Ravens used it, really used him as a run defender this year. A very solid early down guys. Obviously, he had some pressure he provided. He provided some great batted passes. The guy, you know, there's, I'm sure there's a joke in there somewhere about getting his hands up and batting a pass yeah. down. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking at him. I, I, PFF didn't really grade him too highly. He, he graded well for me. He was often showing up in my star treatment as far as being in the notes. How did you see him this year? No, to- totally in line. You know, me personally, I don't have access to PFF's. Um, rating stuff, and that's by design because I don't mm-hmm. care what they say. Sure. I'll be real with you. But um, no, I'm totally in line with what you're describing. I thought as the year went on, he was cleaner, uh, more precise. And I t- I thought he gave the right tackle from the Bengals hell mm-hmm. uh, when he was matched up against him. I'm talking about the last two games, not Lyle Collins. Um, I thought he played well against the run. Identity, yeah. Yeah, I thought he would. And who's, you know, a pretty good player. He just played very well last week against the Bills. Um, I th- I thought Ojaba was, was, excuse me, I thought JPP was very balanced, good against the run, and very savvy. He knows when to get his hands up, like you're describing with the batted passes. Super high-level awareness. I see him communicating to guys pre-snap. Um, on Ojabo's strip sack of Burrow in Week 18, prior to the snap, uh, JPP is pointing to that side. And then I think he takes his hand and kind of pushes it up in the air, like kind of like the ref does to kind of restart a clock or something. You know, I remember Suggs used to do that all the time. He'd be down in his stance and he would like lift his hand up and he'd point up. He's telling the DBs and people, Hey, I see high stances. I see fingers barely touching the ground, probably pass. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know that for a fact, because obviously we can't hear what JPP was saying unless he was mic'd up for something. But uh, I think he's super smart. I think he had a an impact on the field, Ken. And I think that him and Houston have an impact in practice and off the field as well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. He's a, he's a very savvy player. Those two players, I think we're, we're going to see one of them return. And we can talk about that a little bit at the end, prognosticate. Uh, but but I like JPP too. And and Houston obviously you know, seems to be a terrific pass rush teacher. Not everyone in the NFL is willing to share you know, what they – know about playing the game even with their teammates you know it's a league it's a it's the not for long league you move around a lot why do you why do you want to give away your number one pass rush move to somebody else but i think houston certainly has clearly in terms of showing how he practices gets his motor skills down gets his muscle memory going uh, has really has really shown that he's uh he's willing to be a teacher uh, agreed um we, we originally this year we compared him to yoda on our cha- on the channel and then someone brought up mace windu i don't even know who that is i'm not a big star wars you know no. person but just the fact that it's an it's an older guy who's been there he's seen everything and he's done it i loved what they did with him there was a two-week stretch where i thought they kicked him inside on yep. pass plays and there was one sack he had i think against the saints where queen he's lined up at three technique against the left guard and queen picks the guard so so queen intentionally runs into him last year queen had a play like that against someone he kind of got made fun of for it because he whiffed he whiffed on the pick you know? <laughs> <clears throat> hard to yeah, do but, yeah well i mean i don't even remember the circumstances but point is queen was really good at that this year like picking the offensive lineman letting that guy you know scoot underneath and houston's so versatile i, I look at him as a guy that you can look at on another team at the offensive line and say okay, the right guard has trouble with this move. And Justin Houston's got that move. <laughs> whatever whatever the move is that someone struggles with, Justin Houston's got that move, in my opinion. Although I will say, it seemed like he played better from the right side than the left. I don't know if you have any recollection of that. Uh, meaning, in terms of pass rush. Our, our, meaning as an RDE or on a, on a four-man front being on the right side – Okay, that would typically not be where he would line up on a passing down, but it could be. It could it actually could be either side on a passing down, right? Yeah, he seemed like okay. he seemed like when when we would classify, you know, outside linebackers or edge rushers, we would try to find a left-handed kid. 
because we mm-hmm. were looking for somebody to play on our right. And um, he seems to, for me, he seems to play better on our right. And I always refer to it from the defensive side, mm-hmm. side because that's, you know, that's my background. And I do it intentionally, too, to piss off offensive guys because they refer to everything from their side. So I do it intentionally. But I thought Houston had an amazing season. I, To me, there was a three or four or five game stretch where I thought statistically what he was doing for the number of reps he had was, again, I don't know, you're a numbers person. I find it hard to believe that what he did uh, what was it? Week seven to eleven, something like that, uh, has been From recreated that that all Giants game through the Carolina <clears throat> game, and he, it's not that total. That's not that many total pass rush snaps, but he had something like I want to say he had about like a hundred and ten pass rush snaps during that during that stretch, and had you know seven sacks maybe. Yeah. So it was it was, a, it was an absurd. It was it was higher than that. I think it was it was a very high individual yes individual sack rate. Uh, that was in there and and it is maybe i'm thinking of his pressure rate was even higher than that but anyway not uh, sustainable we knew yeah. that right <laughs> we knew that we we've hear, heard that word as ravens fans for for years but i just don't it to me it reminds me of like a home run hitter who you know he hit seven bombs over the weekend you know something that's and then and then monday tuesday hits three more you know something insane it was a it was an amazing thing to watch um, I think Justin Houston, just like JPP, they'll both be in the NFL next year. And I didn't think yeah. that about JPP uh, at the beginning of the year when we signed him. I was like, okay, what do we got here? And even in that first game he played for us, I thought things looked rather rusty. Um, I never saw anything like that with Justin Houston, a moment where he didn't look sharp or the hand placement wasn't there. He had some losses, but hell, I mean, you're going against – Starting offensive lineman in the NFL, you're going to lose plenty of plenty of plays. I, I like. There's so many things I liked about Houston, but he is. I mean, this year he had a fantastic cleanup sack year. He did very little bit on as a as a beat the guy right off the line of scrimmage. You know, it might have mm-hmm. been three, two to three, I would say of of his what yep. ten and a half sacks when he including mm-hmm. the playoff. So uh, I, it, it was mostly clean up, and that's okay. That's it, it fits into the Ravens scheme very well. He also delivered some some of the initial pressure on other people's sacks as well. But when he was really rolling in there from you're right, it's week seven to eleven are the are the ones. Then that 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 stretch uh, was was a lot of clean up stuff. Yeah. Have, his interception too wasn't that batted yeah. down at the line of scrimmage by Urban, right? Urban did that, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Week week seven against eight? Tampa Bay. I guess yeah, yeah, eight. You may see your coworkers cracking open a can in your nine a.m. stand-up meeting, but it's most likely not beer. It's a new mountain spring water called Liquid Death. You've heard me talk about this many times. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it'll brutally murder your thirst. Plus, its infinitely recyclable Tallboy cans are helping to be a, bring a death to plastic bottles. Did you know plastic's not even really recyclable anymore? It ends up just going to a landfill because it's not profitable to recycle. Meanwhile, aluminum is recyclable and profitable for recycling facilities. You guys know how much I love Liquid Death. It's in everything I do. I take it to work. I take it to the ball club. I take it when I'm out with the kids. I got them here on my my desk because I'm recording a podcast. I'm always with it. What's cool now is I'm seeing you guys on Twitter talk about how you're grabbing your cans and going to work. So send me those stories about what you're doing and how you're cracking open a tall boy in odd situations because, hey, it's water. And not only is it water, it's the best water that you can go out there and buy. It's cold. You can drink it with whatever you're doing. So going out there, Get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool by going to liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. So anyway. I, thought, I, thought, I thought too that he, the one thing I'll say about Houston and you know, you've been analyzing the Ravens and NFL for longer than I have. There's certain pass rushers and comparing Houston and Owe, which is kind of unfair to Owe, but Houston plays at a, particular angle of his choosing away in my opinion is a little less committed to his angle i'm not just talking about you know a bull rush or whatever having said that about houston though i think he's committed to his angle that he's choosing if he sees something mid mid play that the tackle is doing an overset an underset whatever he's able to adjust 
You know, he's very balanced. I feel like he keeps himself in a tight framework, which allows himself to adapt within that space. Whereas certain other younger edge rushers get a little bit out of control. Houston is very under control. It reminds me of some of the highest level boxers that are very sharp and precise and efficient. So it's it, it there is a there's a difference there because Owe is a it or he when he's good, when Owe really turns it on and, and becomes the pass rusher that I think he'll be, and I think you probably do too, mm-hmm. he's gonna force errors. And Justin Houston, what you're describing is really creating unforced errors or waiting for unforced errors, but they happen so often and he can take yep. advantage of them so well. I mean, he's like a very good counter puncher in that regard. Yep. Owe it's 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 first move and gone first move yep. tackle of reacts he he can be gone because he's so you know special as an athlete still i think we've, uh, we've been very blessed to have justin houston mm-hmm. um he last year had what five and a half sacks just justin houston the previous year that sounds about right i, I don't keep track of him honestly like that but uh but I'll, I'll look huge, it up while you're doing had a huge moment i think in the um home game against the Bengals. got held Home game against the Browns last year. Clearly had Baker Mayfield dead in his, dead to rights, mm-hmm. got held. And then I think in the Chargers game, maybe it wasn't the Chargers game. Anyway, I felt like last year he only had five, five and a half. It very easily could have been eight and a half or nine. Yeah. That's it, I think we've been go ahead, pretty sorry. great two game, two year stretch. Four and a half actually in, in 21, nine and a half in 22. One more added in the playoffs. So, uh, uh, you know, hell of a. Hell of a run here for Houston. And, and you know, it's going to be, I think one, there's room for one of them on the roster. I just don't think there's room for both. And I'd like to do a little prognostication when we get to the end of this uh, I, I, about that. So I have a little yeah. segment on on uh, on percentages. But let's move on to Tyus Bowser. 34% of the snaps returned in week nine. Um, you know, one of the things that was nice about Bowser, goes lots of multiple things that were nice, but he returned exactly when Roquan came on. And the mm. whole defense just looked completely different from that point on. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Tyus Bowser. So I have to sometimes watch the film of him multiple times and make sure I'm not seeing things that aren't there because I am a big fan of his. Not just the story of his progression of his career. First of all, I believe he's signed to a really team-friendly contract. Are you are you aware of that? It's three years, 18 million, and, it, and this was year two of it, I believe. But right. I, I will just I, – I, sometimes I'm wrong and there's an extension he signed for one more year. So let me look it up while you're talking. Go ahead. So I think he um, last year in 2021, which I don't think it's fair to really look at his sack numbers this year and and judge them because he didn't come back until um, mm-hmm. past midseason, right? That's right, week nine. Yeah, last year had five and a half sacks. Had a sack wiped out against the Bears on a uh, penalty by Humphrey. Had another sack wiped out against maybe the Chargers um, on another defensive penalty. So should have had seven and a half. And I thought he had two other plays last year where he got held clearly. You know, I thought Bowser last year played at a super high level. I didn't see the same level this year from Bowser. That doesn't mean I think he played poorly. I think he played well. Um, I think Bowser seems to be a guy who would benefit from being on the field a lot. And with our situation with so many guys being available there, I don't want to use the word rotation, but we wanted to use all of those guys. And in pass rush situations, if you were going to pick between Bowser or Justin Houston, I think there was a certain point in the season where you said, I'm just going to put Justin Houston on the field on third and eight. And I wouldn't criticize that decision at all. Well, I still like to have Bowser on the field at that point too, because you're a Sam who can drop at that point, or even playing Tyus Bowser off balls is a, is a freaking hellish weapon uh, to put on against them. They've even played Bowser some in the middle. Uh, When he does play in the middle, he usually drops when he plays off ball. He often rushes. It's just a matter of him, you know, taking an angle like Patrick queen and finding his, you know, finding his spot there. Uh, but they, they have so many ways to deploy that. And the more the merrier on those pass rush downs for me, I, I like seeing the race car package, having four outside linebackers out there, whether it's four outside linebackers and a lineman plus, you know, five defensive backs and an inside linebacker, or it could even just be six defensive backs with four outside linebackers and, and probably Roquan Smith's going to be on the field no matter what from now on. Yeah. Uh, but that, that was one of the, you know, obviously one of the things the defense was very affected by the acquisition of Smith because they changed to a committed nickel team. Yeah. And 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 that doing it, that that took a lot of pressure off the secondary. It also took some pressure off outside linebacker because it meant Malik Harrison obviously could completely focus on that position. And uh and it it actually took pressure off cornerback 
which is not usual for the inside linebacker position, but basically it meant that um, you never have to fight a fourth cornerback, but not only that, your third safety who was going to be on the field playing dime back a fair amount now moves and be- becomes your regular slot corner. Yeah. And, and that was, it, it actually had a wonderful cascading effect on the entire defense. I'm not a fan of nickel. I like dime uh, in a relative sense. I like it for a lot of reasons that are way beyond the scope of this show. We'll talk about it in the yeah, inside linebacker position. But, uh, but anyway, I, I, uh, the acquisition of Roquan obviously affected every level of the defense. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong. The acquisition of Roquan aligns with Tyus Bowser coming back, like you mentioned already, right? Yep. Additionally, uh, Kyle Hamilton suffered an injury and was out for one game, maybe the second or third game that we had Roquan Smith. And I thought the defense looked poor the week that Kyle Hamilton didn't play. So those three guys, either A, coming back, B, B being traded or acquired in the case of Roquan, or C, coming back from an injury, uh, really solidified things. Look, in terms of Bowser, getting back to him, I'm such a huge fan of his. I remember specific plays of his, okay, Mm -hmm. because I watched them and I uh, celebrate the fact that he's making them. I remember the end of the Browns game at home in 2021. He made all three plays to end that game, starting at the end, the fourth down play, uh, targeting a tight end. Tyus Bowser covered him man-to-man and tackled him short of the first down. Mm-hmm. The previous play, he dropped back in coverage and I think was responsible for an incomplete pass. The play prior to that, he rushed the passer and got pressure on the quarterback. And that's a very rare set of skills yep. for any linebacker or any player, really. Um, he's a um, He's a do-it-all guy out there. And I think if he's healthy all year next year and back to 100%, I would say, and this is very arbitrary, watching him play, I would say he played to like 90, 92% of his capability for me, even though I think he played well. Yeah, I think that's fair. There definitely was a a kind of a ramp up in his play, but he did so much for the Ravens, even though he was there, because him returning at Sam meant everybody else could go back to their normal responsibilities pretty much. Okay, JPB, yep. he's an early down run defender most of the time. And and OA goes back to being a rush linebacker, which is where he's going to be better. And to have him on the field as a coverage asset, again, was enormous to the defense, but it was also enormous to the pass rush in terms of showing different looks and being able to comfortably drop into coverage. Yep. Bowser's still not very often targeted for for when he drops. Uh, and he's he did not drop as much of this year as he had in the past, but uh, but absolutely terrific player. No, you're what you just said is something that I try to describe to the guys in my Discord. It's not just, you know, which player is dropping. When is he dropping? You know, is it a smart decision for him to do so? It's the quality of the pass drop. Mm-hmm. It's the the spatial awareness. Okay, I'm to the boundary. I've got more space out here. I also have uh, maybe a corner sitting in the flats. I don't need to expand with two out. I need to sit here and wait for one to come in. And that's just Repetition, number one, in-game intelligence, and and formational awareness, understanding the width of receivers and tight ends. Bowser's got all of that. I think yeah. I look at Ty's Bowser as a guy who, if he was playing for teams that made deep playoff runs, you know, championship games, Super Bowl games, he's a guy who could turn in a, a sack and a half, an interception, and six tackles in a Super Bowl and make – millions of dollars for himself because he's good to very good at all of those things. Yeah, I I completely agree. He shows up, you know, we keep notes on every play. That's our process. And then we have an index column that that tells me the key Ravens defenders in each place. I can go ahead and pick those out and put them out in the star treatment section. But it's also just for me looking up, you know, when did 54 show up on individual plays. Oh, he's blocked on this run play. That didn't look that good. Or, oh, he lost the edge on this play. But then, you know, it's got all those highlights in there as well. And I try to just give that to people directly when a player has a game with a lot of highlight plays in particular, really, you know, plays very well. And there always there'll be a couple negative ones just because, hey, there, there, nobody, yeah. I mean, every, nobody plays a game without warts in the NFL. You've, all got, you've, you've got some negative plays. So you, you, so you list all of these uh, plays and let the, let the reader kind of, kind of choose about that. But, he is one of the few outside linebackers who makes 
great plays in every type. Suggs actually very similar in a lot of ways. You know, not the not the best pure pass rusher, and that Bowser is not that. Had the awareness of Suggs is legendary. His his ability to understand when a screen pass is coming, I mean, just you might as well try and sneak yeah. the sun past a rooster, as he used to say about yeah. a fastball and Hank Aaron. Uh, you know, it's it's yeah. just it's, it's just impossible. So anyway, I, I love what Bowser is. By the way, signed through twenty four, not just twenty three. Okay, your what you were describing a minute ago, your process. This is why I think I said this one time before when I was on your show. So people listening, I would I would tend to trust your designation of how a player performed in a given game versus some other rating services. And here's why: you're completing the process of evaluating them, and then you described a second column. You're doing it for multiple reasons. You're doing it to evaluate the play of the players. You're, do- you're doing it also because you love the Ravens <laughs> and you want to have knowledge of how the players played comprehensively over a period of time versus other rating services that are just rating that play. And it might, and this is my, one of my complaint about some of the rating services. It's not the same person grading the same team every week. Yeah. You are consistently grading the Ravens. You understand, okay, weeks one through three always drops into the boundary, stunk. And now week five and six, oh, I'm seeing improvement here. You make a note, a designation of that. Your final evaluation of Owe or whoever it is, Bowser, is going to have recognized some understanding of the progression of how they improved versus other rating services that just try to apply, apply a simple numerical uh, designation to a player. And that is all encompassing. And I just don't think it is. So uh, the process you just described to me, I think, is the way it should be. I, I appreciate the kind words. I mean, a lot coming from you, Coach. And uh, and you know, we've we've evolved our process over the years. But the other person I really want to thank for this is my wife, because without the her actually writing on these pages, I wouldn't be able to read it later. I literally, I cannot. There's other things I take notes on. I can't even read my own handwriting. But she's mm-hmm. she's wonderful, and she gives me this nice nice uh, indexed column, this wonderful sheet of notes that you know then I can turn into an article at a later time, and and uh, we pick some players. But and you she, guys she also helps me type that. <laughs> is it a uh, is it a two person job or a three person job or what? It's two. It's two, and and I I think I you know I used to do it as just a one person job, and it was just it was overwhelming me, and then I, I was yes. collecting more information, and and uh, when she stopped started uh, jumping in, boy, I mean things go faster. Used to be the offensive line article, and I don't want to go down too down, time down this rabbit hole. But the offensive line article would take me like five hours to write because it's like going back from page to screen to page to screen with individual blocks and notations of time and whatnot is very difficult. But I can do it in about forty minutes with her if I'm looking at the screen, the other time references, and we call it out. And the the, the, the article, if you've seen it before, is fairly formulaic in terms of what information we're producing. Like we're just basically saying here, here's all the pressure events, a half share, a full share of this share. You know, what was the type of move or was he beaten left, beaten right, bold, whatever it might've been. Was he shed, you know, this kind of thing. It's just, it's very, it, it's rote, but it, but it, but it tells, you know, it tries to tell that story uh, the same way each week. And when I do that with her 40 minutes and, and we're done. So that's really, I, I couldn't a, do it without her. So the reason why I asked you whether it was a two person job or a three person job is well, the way that I was taught to, to scout. Mm-hmm. Again, we're talking prior to huddle, so you're scouting by hand. Uh, was a two person job. You know, you could you could get something as a one person one person present, but you really couldn't you know get as much. You would have a camera there. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. uh, but you wanted to get as much documented, um, like you said, live, and have eyes on the game. Uh, in order to document it. So interesting stuff, man. I, I think you guys do so a great job. W- you had one documenter and the other guy was the caller and then you switched off or what, how would you do it? Uh, yeah. Different data. Each person was describing. So we had gotcha. a shell of the formation drawn up. Uh, and, and so like I would draw the formation, <clears throat> I would draw the formation uh, depending on who is, who's with you and how much you trust that person and what they know. You may, if it's a running back coach, you may say, Hey, give me the running back steps. So I want you to, Every play diagram the running back steps. Let me know if there's a counter step mm-hmm. out of this formation and not out of that one. That's why in my videos, a lot of times I talk about formations because offensive coaches, they have formations where they don't run counter or they have formations where they they do run counter. And so you have to prepare your players for that. The only way you can prepare your players for that is if you know it yourself. And scouting was one of the best things for me to to learn whatever I do know about the game, you know, and That's then it great. just became a sn- snowball. Fantastic stuff, coach. And you see it, you know, a defensive coordinator's 
um, group there. And I don't know if the offense is in a separate box or just on a separate row or whatever, but there's a lot of recording going on by those assistant coaches that you can tell is just being then funneled up to the, to the head offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. I guess the head is, is redundant there, but uh, you know, at halftime, they're going to have a chance to get together when the other team is, has the ball. Uh, they're going to have a chance to, to, to get together and, and discuss it. Uh, oh. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a great, it's great to see that process, but what I'd really love to see is what they talk about when the, uh, when the other team's group is on the field. So if you're, if they're defense coordinators, when their offense has the ball, I'd love to hear what's going on in that room at that I mean, point. And we can do a show on that. If you want, I can only tell you from a high school, you know, perspective uh, and removing the expletives, obviously. So. <laughs> That sounds like fun. It really, it really does sound like fun. But let's yeah, it's on. fun stuff. <laughs> we we've got Malik Harrison to talk about. Twenty one percent of the snaps, most of those at, at outside linebackers. We we mentioned really was the outside linebacker in the early downs early in the season when the Ravens didn't have enough guys to stand up. Uh, solid edge setter, I thought. Uh, this may be a year where he gets to go move back to inside linebacker if Patrick Queen were to be traded. Your yeah. your feelings about his future. I mean, I think Malik Harrison played. I think Malik Harrison plays ten or twelve years in the NFL. Okay, wow. That, I, I, I'll, I, I can imagine one scenario where that would happen, but he's going to have to become Albert McClellan to have a career like that. He's a core special teams player. Doesn't really get off the get, get off the pass rusher. So so far, we've got McClellan two for two. Uh, at good run defender, good edge setter, perfect. That's McClellan, <laughs> and he's been a, a you know a fine tackler and special teams containment guy on the on the two coverage units that certainly is McClellan uh he is the kind of guy I would I would look if if you can get past the fact that they used a third round draft pick on him and just say sunk capital don't worry about it and turn him into Anthony Levine or Albert McClellan the rest of his career I think it could happen yeah he um he impressed me early in the season playing into the boundary you know I wouldn't I wouldn't trust him playing to the field now, um, in the NFL, that in the NFL, the hashes are close together, right? So, mm-hmm. we people listening, keep in mind that a high school coach or even a college coach talking about field and boundary, it may sound like um, it may sound overrated or overstated. I guess it's not. Even in the NFL, you can look at certain uh, formations, trips being one of them. Uh, fi- uh, last year, I, 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 sh- I probably need to do video on something like this. Last year in the database that I have for all NFL teams, I had like 426 designations of trips. Out of those 426, like 290 of them, the trips was to the field. So so to me, uh, getting back to Malik Harrison and trying to relate it to that, he's a guy I want to the boundary. I don't want him in space against smaller, quicker receivers, right? Um, even in some situations to the boundary, particularly like 2021, you remember Travis Kelsey's long touchdown catch from midfield. Uh, that was a, a, an attempt at a double team by Justin Houston and Malik Harrison. I would say that's probably a bad tactical decision mm-hmm. to double team with those two guys. But Malik ends up leaving Kelsey, and Kelsey takes it to the house from like 47 yards. I thought early in the year he played well to the boundary. Pass drops were solid. Uh, run like you said. Run defense was solid, and then when you need, when you want to formationally, you can slide him back to inside linebacker because he has that versatility. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm thinking like you said earlier, he's going to be on the team, and depending on um, the health of Ojabo and Owe and all those guys, you know, they seem all completely good now. I think, I think Harrison gets on the field, plays special teams like you said, and there's a place for him. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ken. There was like a five or six game stretch in 2020 where Malik Harrison played really well. And then we didn't really see that guy in 2021, and we all know that you know he had the injury Dumbass or whatever incident. during the bye, yeah. Di- yeah, during the bye week that really stunted his uh, development with the the franchise. This year, I thought was a solid little comeback for him. Yeah, even though you know it was a little short lived because of JPP signing and all those guys. And like you alluded to, Malik Harrison is never going to be a an eight ten sack a year guy. You know, he'd probably be lucky to get to five. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I don't think they'll be asking him to get sacks. I think they'll be asking him to drop out to the boundary, be physical with tight ends when you get a, fit, a tight end to the boundary. Um, I thought he played well, and then he kind of disappeared for parts of the season. But correct me if I'm wrong, there was like a two-game stretch 
week eight, week nine, where he played a little more uh, than he had <clears throat> once Houston came back, once OA came back. And I'm not sure why that was. Uh, yeah, obviously, he, he let's see, when did he play most? Well, first of all, let's see, weeks really, he was done with his defensive snaps by about week eight. He played 36 snaps against Tampa Bay in week eight. Okay, um, that was the one. All right. And and he had 249 for the year, but effectively, when Bowser returned, he lost his job. And then he's only yeah. in there for a little bit of early down run defense, almost never in the second half. It's usually early in the game and early downs, they would have him in there. Uh, it's just he's you know when when they're when the other players are healthy he's not your ideal guy but he's a great special teams guy he's a he's a he's a, a good versatile player for two positions yep. inside and outside linebackers not too many players who really do both of those things well um, and I think Malik Harrison can give you a little bit at both of those positions that's why I think he's got a One chance of- yeah if if you uh, it, it, obviously okay. 23 will be his last year with the Ravens unless the Ravens do something about it. So the the question is, is he a guy sometime in mid 23? If things are going okay, maybe they're not going great. Maybe he's just, he's he's continued to be a special teams player. Hasn't done a whole lot. Hasn't played a whole lot of inside linebacker snaps, but they like how he's practicing. Do you think they, they try and grab him up for a two year extension at that point for vet men plus a little bit, be like an Anthony Levine type contractor, you know, the vet men plus 400,000 a bonus spread over two years. Yeah. It's look, you, you said it when you have someone who can play inside linebacker and outside linebacker, what you're describing, you're describing a four, three, Sam, the four, three, Sam plays to the tight inside as a, and I hate this phrase, but I'll say it as an off ball linebacker. And then in, when they walk him up, he plays outside a tight end in, in what's called a slid 50 or the under front, a person who can do both of those things. Like you said, man, there's value in that. And play special teams, there's value in that. If someone goes down, if unfortunately a, a Bowser goes down, you know, mid-game, you can play Harrison at Sam some. Again, I certain players you have to protect. Uh, and he's a guy who I would never want to the field athletically. You know, but uh, outside of that situation, yeah, value and the, the situation you're describing possibly, you know, keeping him at a really low salary, getting him locked in. I mean, I can see where I can see where something like that would happen. Is he going to be a superstar for us? No, but you know, he's a solid player. You win football games, you know, with the depth of your roster. And I, th- I think this year the Ravens won some football games with the depth of our roster. Particularly, well, we almost won a damn playoff game, you know, without our starting quarterback. Right. So, you know, the depth of our roster is a strength. Yeah, absolutely. Mentioned by DeCosta, not that it matters because we'll make our own judgment <laughs> about whether or not depth matters. I, I think it's mattered at so many positions for the Ravens. Safety this year, they they really tested their depth, but they but it stood up to it. You know, Geno Stone yeah. came in. I thought I had a terrific year. And Hamilton, you know, figures out how to how to cover for the Ravens not having enough cornerbacks, which is unreal. It's one of the really big breakthroughs of the season. So yeah. I, I yeah, depth matters. And and uh hopefully the Ravens won't uh you know, in in their need to cut a lot of corners to get Lamar Jackson signed, won't make some decisions about depth that they'll really regret. Yeah, you keep it, that. Yeah. You keep that depth around as best you can because I think, well, even last year, Ken, two thousand twenty-one, the depth of the roster in a season when you have catastrophic injuries allowed them to compete with. Well, I mean, the Rams and the Packers came to Baltimore, and we competed with both of them. I think it was because of the depth of the roster. It certainly wasn't because of our offensive efficiency in those games. And it certainly wasn't because of our, you know, our defensive out scheming people. We, we have, uh, we have our, our depth goes further down the roster than a lot of other teams. Yeah. That's an asset. Yeah. It really showed at this position, particularly with the next guy, David Ajabo, who only could get on the field for a handful of snaps all year. That's, it's not because, he wasn't practicing fast enough, although we don't we don't really know. They they got him in for one snap in I forget even what game it was, might have been against the Steelers, but it was it 15, was 16, yeah. Yeah, it was in that range. And then they brought him back for 20 snaps in week 18, uh, after he was on the on the road the inactive list for for one or two more weeks. Mm-hmm. And then he then they had him on for about 20 snaps in that game. And he and he picked up that first uh cherry popping uh sack fumble from behind of uh of Burrow, which by the way just completely reminded me of Queens sack. I think it was also his first of Burrow 
in 2020. It was another one of these come from behind, um, yep. uh, what do you call it? Cleanup place. Yep. Yeah. First of all, it makes you understand when McDonald was signed as the DC, it makes you understand why there were people saying this is a drastic shift from Wink because he's just going to rush four and get organic pressure. Well, he had Ojabo and Aiden Hutchinson, <laughs> you know, and Ojabo, one thing from college that you saw that really is just evidenced again by that sack of Burrow. When he hit people, running backs or quarterbacks in, in that season at Michigan, they fumbled. I don't know how many forced fumbles he had, but it was a lot right. in Michigan. Uh, he made explosive plays, explosive athlete, regardless of what um, some of us would have liked to have done with that pick, a super smart pick, even though you know we didn't get uh, essentially an entire year of playing out of him. That's, that's Top, important. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, sorry, man. Top, top of the first round talent. If you look at the film from Michigan, his final year, that's just a fact. Uh, terrible, you know, that, I mean, some of these guys, man, in the, in the draft process, like, what are you even out there working out for, David? Like, you're already a top 15 pick, you know, and then you go out there and tear an Achilles. Uh, sucks to be him, but he's come back, thankfully. I think he's got a bright future as a pass rusher. He probably looks a little bit more explosive than um, Oway at this point. Uh, could could be. We'll see. I, I I've uh, I, I haven't made up my mind on that based on like the twenty three snaps. There's obviously there's a lot going on in the practice field. We don't know. But the big win from this year was he didn't lose it developmentally, and that was the big fear for me. Was they're drafted in the second round. He's going to miss the entire season because of when the Achilles happened. You know, fairly late. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he got back on the field, actually got a sack played some snaps, looked pretty good. Um, I'm very keen on that for, for for what it means for 2023. So excited about that. Really excited they, they activated it for the playoff game. A little surprise too, frankly. Me, me too. I, I, I didn't think that we could have five outside linebackers activated, none of which who play special teams, but we did it. Um, and and I, I am, I'm with you. I think, A, it's exciting to have him. Him and Ojabo, excuse me, him and Owe are young. And Bowser's what, 27? Bowser, about that. Well, I'll look it up right now. <clears throat> so Go it's ahead. not like it's not like those either of those three guys is is old. You know, um, obviously Houston and JPP are uh, mm-hmm. excited. You know, if someone falls, if something crazy happens and some really talented guy, you know, becomes available, <laughs> I don't know how you pass on some, you know, some of these guys, but the Ravens are going to have to, you know, for real. There's no reason to draft another edge guy, in my opinion. I know that there's going to be people who have different opinions. Oh, we need to we need to draft a guy who can get 15 sacks. There aren't too many of them walking around. There just aren't. Uh, and, and signing one of those guys or trading for him in free agency is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, number, number two. And number three, a lot of those guys have those numbers for three or four years and then don't recreate it. They, they won't be available at pick 22, so we won't have to worry about it. But if there was the guy that they really loved, and it could be any position, um, and it's not cornerback or it's not wide receiver, they're, more than in past years, they're going to have to consider trading the pick and and, yep. and, and, and and dumping down to get the proper value on a, on a player that is at a position of need, which is really bad, by the way. That's that's You don't want to go into the draft with a first, no second, and other teams who are trading with you knowing that, hey, they're looking for a cornerback or a wide receiver so we can fleece them a little bit on this trade. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's where you tell me, you know, where you are. I think that the really smart move would be to kind of shore up one of those positions, you know, as best you can as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. So that the, so that you're not, you know, like you said, kind of showing your hand to other teams um, if someone does drop to you. I think they're in a good place, to be honest with you, in a lot of positions. Those two that you mentioned, you know, they've got to, you know, address clearly. Outside linebacker to me, I think, was um, one of the ones that was. Most exciting to see the development over the course of the season. Most exciting to see the production. We knew as the season went on, though, that at least one of those old guys, if not two, is uh, is not going to be seen again in a Ravens uniform. And look, the, the reality is other teams, and we'll find out in the offseason, I suspect other NFL teams are going to be calling Justin Houston yeah. as soon as possible. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't think JPP is going to get the same love. I think he's the guy that they could have back. But let's save that for our prognostication segment for just a minute. I'm going to mention really quickly the field. Um, 
this is a, if the trivia question happens to come up of guys who got snaps for the Ravens at outside linebacker in 2022 ever comes up. Ada Ochu, eight snaps. Copeland, 51 snaps, Baltimore guy. Uh, Devon Kennard, a lot of talk about, you know, how he'd be the great Sam linebacker replacement. You know, at the beginning of the year, he finally got signed somewhere in the middle of the year and, and lasted 29 snaps. Uh, Means, Stephen Means. Parts of the first two games, 27 snaps total, injured on the first snap of the second game, which is a bummer. Vince Beagle, we mentioned, uh, zero snaps, but he was a real hope to be in there at Sam Linebacker. Daylon Hayes, another hope at Sam Linebacker. Cut injured in the in the beginning of the year. So he's an odd choice because the Ravens still have his rights for 23. And I think they were ready to cut him outright. They obviously mm. were because they, they cut him injured. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see if there's if there's a place for him on the 90 for him to maybe try and win a job through hard work this offseason, camp, rehabbing, obviously all the things that go with it, because I think the Ravens might have been done with him before he was injured. Really? You think so? I think it's possible because, yeah, I mean, they didn't have anybody. So it, it, obviously, if they if they thought there was a chance he could be back mm-hmm. in any really reasonable period of time, they would have kept him. And, 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 you know, maybe my recollection of the timing is is not accurate here, but there were certainly a number of guys we brought in, Stephen Means, Vince Beagle, Mm-hmm. So they're, yeah, they're, they're, I think the Ravens were definitely stacking their chips. Like, okay, one of these guys is going to be able to help us some. I thought, I thought means played well. I thought there was a preseason game yes, where he was, he was in there against the twos. And I even said to some friends I was watching the game with, I was like, get Steven means off the field. Like, I don't need to watch Steven's mean Steven means kick these guys asses you know, any longer. He just looked like a guy who was a starter, kind of like uh likely in that Arizona game is like, get him off the field. You know, I've already seen enough. I don't know what his status is or Hayes' status is. I liked Kennard. I saw Kennard. He was with Arizona when we played them. And I thought he gave us a lot of trouble in that game. I think he was number 42 or number 43. It's 2019. We're talking about. Yeah. No, no, no. no, no. I mean, talking about in the preseason, in the preseason, you're right. The preseason game this year, he gave us actually two of their OLBs in that preseason gave us, gave us trouble. You got to have special teams guys like Copeland, though. I kind of like him. Um, he was with us for what eight, nine weeks this year. I'm not sure if they, I, 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 we need to actually kind of wrap this up. I'm sorry. I've, yeah, I've, uh, I've got to keep doing it here. Um, so let's talk a little prognostication and we'll do a, a few things of this. So if you're, if you're looking at JPP in Houston, Again, I want you to come up with three probabilities that sum to one. I mean, you're a math guy. I know I can put you in this position. But but those three, the probability of zero, one, or two of them returning. And let's just each write that down here. Uh, see. JPP, Houston, and who? Uh, it's JPP and Houston. So it's, it could be either zero, one, or two of them return. Mm, okay. Well, I think, okay. I think it's the probability that zero return, I think, is incredibly low. We would We would be remiss. If we didn't say those are reliable players mm-hmm. and we know what we can get out of them at this point, um, the probability that zero of them return, I would say is zero. Okay. I, I have it at 10 50. or less. Okay. That's fair. I, I have it at 50 because I think that other teams might want them. And if there's a, competi- a competition for them in the market, the Ravens are probably going to lose. Um, but definitely Houston. No doubt. Okay. Definitely Houston. There will be there. I, I expect the Super Bowl uh, type teams, the, the, the teams competing for a championship to absolutely want a guy like Justin Houston to play 18, 20, 22 snaps a game. No doubt about it. There'll be a market for him. Okay. I think it's actually less likely the two return. I put that at about 10% overall and 40% for one to return. I think that's, I may even have that too low, but it's, but it's, it's yeah, yeah. the most likely result probably. I was going to say 10, 90, zero. <laughs> I mean, okay. I, th- I think we're not doing our job if we're not seriously trying to get one of those guys to return. And the more likely is JPP, the more uh, forceful and probably impactful is Houston. But unfortunately, how many how many OOBs can you carry who aren't going to play special teams? And that's why uh, Copeland or even a Kennard or someone like that, having them, Harrison as well, is someone that's going to have a spot because they can play, they will play special teams. And I would never, ever, ever want to put Bowser, Owe, or Ojabo on a single special team snap. All right. All right. Always a pleasure to talk football with you, coach. Great having you on. 
Uh, love to uh, get together for more off-season pods with you, whether we're talking about the draft or some other look-forward stuff. Uh, but uh, tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Yeah, I'm on Twitter, and Twitter's increasingly becoming something that I you know, try to put some content on. So all 22 films on Twitter and then all 22 films on YouTube. And I actually tried to like, you know, I'm trying to stave off old age and I started a TikTok page where I put some videos on there as well. Uh, so, cause that's what, you know, a lot of people look at and it's very easy to do so. So those are the three uh, social media um, platforms that I utilize. And uh, you know, I appreciate you having me on. It's always fun. You guys do a fantastic job, you know, breaking down the game, talking about the game and then all the data that you try to present to people too, to kind of educate the fans. I think Ravens fans are really blessed. I really appreciate that coach means a lot coming from you. And uh, I would really encourage people to give coach a follow and, and make sure you check out his YouTube content and whatnot. It's very done very professionally and the system behind it. He's, he's let me look a little bit behind the curtain. It's very impressive in terms of how the video is aligned to plays and the other information you keep on it. So I really like it. I'll tell you, coach. It's uh, fun, man. We did this in an hour, coach. <laughs> we, we, we I got I got a couple more things to say here before you. But wait, we I'm doing a new series. I want people to DM me on Twitter uh, if you want to do that one play. So one play in Ravens history that means a lot to you it can be any play at all, uh, and just bring your perspective to it, and we'll talk about it. If it's historic, that's great. If it was that big in that game, if it was first game you ever went to, if it's why you bought this guy's jersey, if it just was special to you in some other way, whatever that might be. This is a, a nice 15, 16, 17-minute opportunity for a show, and we're really trying to see if people would like shorter content and how they would gravitate towards that. Uh, anyway, give me a DM, and I'll get right back to you on, on doing that. We've already got 20 scheduled, so uh, and that was in less than a week. So please hit me up with this. Love to hear from you. Coach, thanks again for coming on. Yeah, man, appreciate it. It's always fun. You know, I love what you guys do, like I said. So look forward to doing some stuff with you maybe, maybe before the draft, like you said, because it's always such a fun time to kind of um, try to project or prognosticate about, you know, what the Ravens are going to do. And our options seem a little less limited this year because, like you said, there's two positions we gotta we got to attack. So, uh, yeah, look forward to doing something with you either before the draft or right after. Sounds good. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.